there is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. Hi, and welcome back to this week's episode of Net Zero Carbon. I'm Tyler Cole, your host, and this is our show at Freight Waves, where we deep dive on decarbonization, typically looking at freight fuels and energy and how they're working to impact decarbonization across the industry. Today, I'm joined by an all-star team. We've got Brett Wetzel, uh, newly, congratulations on the new title, Vice President of Sustainability and Innovation at US Venture. Brett, how you doing? Fantastic. Thanks for having me, Tyler. Excited to have you. And we're also joined by Lynn Lyon, Director of Sustainable Transportation at US Energy. Lynn, how are you? Doing great. Thank you, Tyler. I'm excited and action-packed. I, I had a hard time bringing you on because there's so many things we could talk about. So choosing where to focus was the most difficult part, honestly, of this interview. But we've chosen to, to focus our conversation around renewable natural gas um, as a trend in the industry towards decarbonization. So before we launch that or launch into that, why don't we get just brief intros from both of you? And Brett, since you're at US Venture, if you want to talk a little bit more just about the, the structure of the organization as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to. Um, so yeah, US Venture uh, is a 70-year-old company that's still family-owned and privately held. So our roots actually 70 years ago started with two brothers in Appleton, Wisconsin that started uh, fuel oil hauling business. And uh, what's been really cool throughout the, the history of our company is the number of businesses that we've had has expanded. Our impact, uh, both you know with customers, but also with our own employees have expanded. And, you know, to, so we don't go too far or too long, just highlighting the fact that, you know, we're one of the leading uh, leading distributors of tires uh, in the nation. So we actually have our own fleet uh, that's moving things around the country. We have a business that uh, works on energy and sustainability strategies with shippers. Um, and then most exciting, uh, part of the core of our company and those roots is really in our U.S. energy division, uh, where we're really moving around refined products, biofuels. And with Lynn on board, uh, she's the best person to talk about some of those alternative energies as well. Awesome. Thank you. Lynn, do you want to share a little bit about your role and more about U.S. Energy? Sure. My role as a director of sustainable transportation is to work with the shippers and the carriers who are looking for innovative ways to decrease their carbon emissions. And it's nice to be at a company like U.S. Energy, where we come at it for what we call polyfuel approach. So we're happy to meet the, the companies where they are for their application. So if you're moving potato chips, you know, maybe, maybe electric is a really good option for you. If you're moving asphalt, maybe you're going to need a hydrogen fuel cell or you're going to need um, a, a different kind of application um, solution. So for those applications, um, we like to take a step back, talk with our customers, find out what their goals are, what, what they're getting asked for from their board of directors, from their executive team, what their employees are coming up with, and find the right technology, the right fuel that meets their needs best. I love that approach. It's so needed in the industry because different fleets, different types, all have different needs. And unless you've got your ear to the ground and you're working with them in partnership, you know, there's just too many options to choose from. People get paralyzed. So I'm glad you guys take that approach. And it makes sense, given the structure of the, the enterprise, that you guys have options to be able to address each of those needs with clients. Thank you for sharing that, Len. Let's do uh, double-click into RNG. 
it's a passion of mine. If you've been listening to the show for a long time, you know that I started my sustainability journey with the CNG pilot 12 years ago and that, you know, America's natural gas corridor days. Uh, we've since grown more into that polyfuel future you were just discussing, Len. And we now get to talk about RNG instead of just CNG and LNG, which is really the method of delivery. RNG tells a different story about the life cycle of the fuel. Can we just start with a brief overview there, Len, with what is RNG? Sure. I started about 12 years ago, same as you, Tyler, and I started in the uh, upstream uh, traditional natural gas place. And the thing about that is CNG, compressed natural gas, um, and RNG are molecularly the same thing. So it's CH4, uh, carbon and hydrogen, and the engine doesn't care. is what. And so we've been working on this technology for 12 years now, right? And like you said, the difference is in the production of the RNG. So RNG is renewable natural gas. And it comes from different uh, feedstocks. It can come from um, dairy farms, which we have a lot of up in Wisconsin or other animal farms. Also, it can come from wastewater, landfill. And as our population grows and we have more waste, it's important that we find ways to reuse that natural gas. Great explainer. Thank you. Brett, maybe briefly before we jump on to kind of trends in the industry, some of the sustainability metrics around RNG or the benefits of using that as a fuel. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I do have to say, I think we're all on the same page. When I had first started, it was working with customers that were starting on the CNG side of things. So that was really my intro into a lot of the alternative energy side. And I think from that start 10 years ago, as Lynn had mentioned, renewable natural gas is a big part of kind of, you know, the second life or the revival. Um, fossil natural gas does still have benefits um, over traditional diesel. But, you know, it's amazing the types of carbon reductions we can get, even from landfills, um, being able to capture that gas. You're talking usually about 50 percent reduction. Um, and then when we get into our dairy projects, as, as some may know, uh, you can actually start getting two negative scores uh, because unfortunately that manure left on its own is methane that goes up in the atmosphere, which is much, much more potent than carbon dioxide. So you're talking about the ability to get into negative scores because we're really capturing that and finding a better use um, for that methane that would otherwise be released. Very helpful and, and important to, to realize for listeners to understand the reason that it's negative is the way we're counting for the warming potential of those gases in the atmosphere. So there's there's plenty of resources. Hit me up on LinkedIn if you want to go down that rabbit hole. We can send listeners there. But the point is, because we're getting rid of that, we're taking advantage, we're repurposing that gas now, using it as a fuel combusting it, it's no longer methane going up, it's CO2. And the difference in their warming potentials is what accounts for that really short-term, short-lived, positive climate impact. And that's why it's such a good opportunity for fleets to use it. So thank you for explaining that. Um, let's talk about what you guys are seeing in the industry. This is, you know, we're talking 10 years later from when it really started taking hold. How have we seen the adoption of natural gas engines and specifically the adoption of RNG um, as a solution for fleets evolving? Well, one thing I'll share from my experience too. So when I got started, I was on the fleet side. So I was converting my fleet. I worked for one of the largest oil and gas producers in West Texas. So I bought hundreds of F-250s. I bought Peterbilt trucks and we they worked, you know, and that's why this has continued. So we're probably on, I don't know, our third or fourth generation of technology now on the truck side. And that's advantageous. So the companies that are using the natural gas trucks are doubling down. You see Amazon buying more trucks. Now they're moving into electrification and other areas as well, but these trucks work. UPS, 
is buying more trucks. They had a big announcement recently about that. Waste management, um, Pepsi, they all continue. And one of the important parts I'll say about that too is when you're talking about the technology, the internal combustion engine, they're they're familiar with the technology, right? And so 90% of the truck is the same for parts. We know that the entire trucking industry had issues with parts going through uh, the pandemic. So they like a truck that they're familiar with and we're only switching out the fuel piece of it. And when you talk about who's doing this, you've got all the big names. So you've got Packar, My Trucks were Peterbilt. They have a lot on the road. You have Freightliner. Uh, you have you have Volvo in the space. So all of the biggest trusted names in truck technology have a CNG or RNG option. And I think that's important. One other thing I will mention um, regarding that is one of the limitations, though, was we had a 12-liter engine. That was the largest engine we had. So that goes back to my comment about are you moving potato chips, right? Because you need you need that torque um, and you need that power. So there's a 15-liter engine that is being tested right now by Walmart and other large fleet customers, and they're having great results. I had a talk with my friend uh, at at the uh, at Cummins this morning, and he was giving me the feedback that they like the trucks and they're going to be coming on the roads in the next year. So we're going to see orders and we're going to see this new engine. Uh, another point about this is the 12 liter was revised for natural gas. This 15 liter is built for purpose. So it is optimized for natural gas. I think we have a strong contender here in the alt fuel space with the Cummins 15 liter engine. The market has been waiting for it and we're all ready to see um, and learn more about how this is going to make an impact and especially as we go forward and understand the amount of fueling stations that are that are already open. So that's where the infrastructure piece comes in. When I talk to people about electric trucks, they like the trucks. I mean, they like the technology, but it's the infrastructure is the problem. So when you talk about making an, an immediate impact, this is why companies like Amazon are doing this, the infrastructure is out there. So we have over 1,500 stations across the country that people can fuel at. And it's very similar to how you would fuel timing-wise and everything else with a diesel truck. And 50 of those stations are owned by U.S. Energy. So we're in, we're in the business. We keep them open 24-7. We're supporting these large fleets that I mentioned. And uh, we're adding more. I'm working on two new station builds right now. That's exciting. You, you touched on so much there that I want <clears throat> to make sure we resurface around. You already front-ran me a little bit on the EV comparison because that's an important <laughs> distinction as everybody's Sorry. talking about it in the market. And if... It, it feels similar to when we were all talking about 10 years ago when the 12 liter and others were first coming out. You had more of the infrastructure problem then. But through adoption, we've seen that infrastructure today is more widely available. And so you can kind of plug and play these fleets in many cases. Um, the fueling piece, though, around the infrastructure, when we're talking about the differences between RNG and CNG, I think is interesting for listeners to understand exactly what you said earlier. There is no difference. It's the same molecule. You're going to go, because we have a common carrier network of natural gas pipelines in the US, you put it in in North Carolina at a pig farm, you can claim those attributes in California. And that's happening today very frequently. So talk to me about how fleets, yes, we can go to the OEMs, we can get these trucks, we can work with station owners like you and get the, get the fuel. How do we contract or start to think about making sure we can deliver the RNG environmental attributes to customers. Is that a separate procurement process or how does that work? <laughs> yeah. And, you know, Tyler, I think the interesting part is uh, that that's a bit of a work in progress. But I think even taking a step back from there, I think one of the really interesting things that we're seeing is 
you know, the sustainability was kind of kept separate from it in the past. And I think most recently what we're seeing is when sustainability and transportation are coming together. That's on the shipper side, that's on the carrier side. You start to put the pieces together to realize, hey, we can capitalize on those emissions attributes. And, you know, it's I think for me, what we always see, whether it's on our own internal sustainability at U.S. Venture or with the customers we work with, it starts just by understanding the acronyms, right? Like you can talk right past each other, uh, sustainability and transportation folks, but just getting that same common language um, is an important piece to it. And then I will say from the, you know, the emissions attribute side, that is continuing to be a developing space for it. Uh, and I think everybody that's listening and for sure the three of us recognize that things are going to get more complex and not less. So when we're working with customers, we're helping them understand the carbon intensity and emission side, how that can translate into sustainability reporting. But knowing that that's going to be a much, much bigger space in the future. So we continue internally at U.S. Venture, but also with our customers to try to best position them to capture those elements. And it's it, in some cases can be really easy. In other cases, there's just a lot of things uh, that we have to work through to make sure that the reporting works for the company um, and that works for their frameworks that they're using. Yeah, you were talking about ac- you were talking about acronyms, and when you talk about acronyms, uh, you have to think of LCFS, so low carbon fuel standard. And so when you're also saying that it's easier in some parts of the country than others, on the West Coast, uh, we're able to move those environmental attributes a little easier. And we're seeing uh, movement across the country where there's an interest in this, but we're learning one say at a time. And we do have experts at our organization who understand how to work with the EPA and document those pathways. You have to prove out where that gas was produced and how it was injected into the pipeline and that there is a pathway that it could get from that farm in Wisconsin to that vehicle in California. So we do work closely with that and we have experts who are staying on top of the trends and the regulations and the incentives really that the government's promoting. Important to call out and to give listeners, I think, a a deeper understanding of the, the work that goes behind the scenes to promote and preserve the veracity of these fuels, that there are experts and scientists looking at this to make sure that we're not just selling a green dream, but we're actually doing something that positively been, uh, impacts the environment. So thank you for calling that out. And Brett, you mentioned this, and I'm guilty of it all the time, of uh, maybe speaking because I'm in, <laughs> entrenched in this world, just blasting ahead with acronyms and not uh, stopping to appreciate meeting the audience where they are. And many of our listeners are just starting their journey. So Talk me through a decision process for fleets that aren't currently using these um, CNG or RNG trucks, but want to. Where do they start? Who do they work with? What's their end result that they need to be building towards? Well, I'd say uh, talk to somebody like us who doesn't uh, push a certain technology or a certain answer that kind of steps back and does a little consulting to understand what the application is, right? And really to understand how it plays into your organization's larger goals, because we can introduce you to the companies that are producing the trucks. And I will say this, it always starts with the truck. Sometimes people used to say chicken or egg, but that's not true. If you buy trucks, someone will build you infrastructure and you want to do that in parallel. So you want to make sure that either one, there's already an existing station nearby that you can fuel up it, or that you work with somebody like us to either put in a private station or a public station that could be another source of revenue for your company as well. So there's some ways, there's a lot of creative ways we can work together, but the most important thing is that you develop your plans for acquiring your trucks and setting up your infrastructure in parallel. 
Yeah. And my, my plus one there too is I think where we really see success is in collaboration. And yeah, that sounds like a buzzword. Um, but what's really interesting is when the fleets connect into the shippers then too, especially if it's, you know, scope three emissions or four higher freight, um, because we start to see things like dedicated contracts or more strategic relationships. Uh, because what's good for the fleet is also good for the emissions reporting um, and a lot of the sustainability objectives of the shipper side of the equation, too. So I think where we've seen the greatest success is when those parts parties come together and share in the successes. But also, you know, like Lynn had mentioned, we're a lot of generations into these trucks. It's also kind of sharing in the reality, sometimes the challenges as well. Very important to call out. Shippers want that emission reduction. That's why we're having a lot of these conversations. Shippers want to come to the fleets and find a partner to help them with their value chain that they don't control. But the holdup often is, in my experience, shippers need help understanding how to account for that, how to work with fleets who can get them that data. It's a lot harder to transmit emissions data, or there's additional steps, I should say, to transmit um, electrification emissions data, right? We're just now starting to figure out how to track that electron upstream and be able to report it. Natural gas is a little bit easier. You do have meters. You do have a book and claim mechanism that's in place in markets like California, Lynn mentioned. So you can be a little bit quicker to provide that shipper the data they're looking for. So thank you for highlighting the importance of that, because that's why we're having the conversation with shippers in the first place. And speaking about the shippers, uh, one of the things that's interesting with that, too, is people are trying to get closer to an answer is looking at not only collaboration, but sharing the risks and sharing the costs of these alternative fuels. So you have to, people that want to make this work, make it work. And they go into it knowing that they're going to have to make some people process technology changes. And if you get a group that's collaborating saying, hey, let's figure this out together. Um, join a group like NGV America, which is the trade association that has um, members from all the truck manufacturers, as well as the fueling partners and the largest fleets. You'll get a group of people that'll help walk you through this as well. And they'll say, this is what we learned. This is, this is the changes I had to make to my maintenance facility. Uh, I've found that my drivers really love these trucks. That's the kind of feedback that really helps you get a, a jump start when making a change. Good feedback. And you're right. We well, have a decade of experience in many cases to draw upon. So you can talk to people who have run these trucks now. It's not as, as new as other options that are being put forward in the market right now, like EVs, which, as you say, are still great trucks. And, They've got a big learning curve and a cycle, and natural gas has kind of been through that already. So what do you say to somebody who's evaluating both, and can you draw any comparisons um, in the drawbacks? So as an example, natural gas, you mentioned maintenance. I remember for the longest time, not only was the 12-liter underpowered, but we've got to train our staff on the maintenance process, and we might have to update our shop and do some of these additional things. What are the complaints that are similar between those two fuel technologies? And how do you see natural gas has already addressed some of those? Well, I, I think one of them is obviously costs, right? So uh, natural gas, if you're doing a heavy duty engine, you're talking about maybe $55,000 Delta from a diesel truck. So uh, all trucks are getting more expensive right now. And that is a trend that started during the pandemic. But the um, natural gas piece, you really just have to do the hardened valves and sills and the tanks. So it's not a big change. So the, the expense part is one of the big comparisons. Another point I heard when I was in California recently, a gentleman in the Santa Monica area was talking about his bus fleet. And he said that the government is willing to come in and give them significant grants to get new buses. He says, however, um, they only go half the range. And he goes, that's fine. I can revise my routes. 
but I'm going to have twice as many buses. Who in Santa Monica is going to give me space for twice as many buses? So these are some of the things that we're running into, you know, um, regarding space and then the infrastructure piece. I think it's a little bit easier because of our pipelines in the, in the country and our natural gas network to get the infrastructure set up. We could probably get infrastructure set up for somebody in around nine months, I would say is the average right now to get something set up. And it's taking longer in some areas for the electric infrastructure. So those are the, those are similar challenges we had. And we had to figure that out with the reason we can do it in nine months is we learned how to work with the utilities. We learned how, we learned how to work with the fire wardens in the area and get everybody comfortable with it. Anytime you're making a change that involves something that's high energy like this, there are risks and people have good, they have good reasons to ask a lot of questions. And we've already answered a lot of those questions or we're prepared when we go into a new area to have the discussion. We know who to reach out to and we know how to work with the groups. And they're just at the beginning of a lot of those conversations with electric vehicles. Excellent. Excellent explanations. Thank you. Talk about the fuel side, though. Is there a difference in procurement? You know, everybody's figuring out how to start paying for electrons to, to, to charge their fleet. That's very new. Natural gas has been around for a while. So is there a more standard procurement process? And maybe even specifically for RNG, if those attributes are a piece of that that's different from historical CNG or LNG purchases? Yes, we sell volume contracts and we also set up cards to be used at our stations. So there's a, there's a variety of ways that you can purchase natural gas. And when you are making the purchase, you can determine if you want to pay for RNG. And depending on where you're in the country, you'll get a different price for that and you'll be have different motivation for doing it. But yeah, we have the ability to do that. And increasingly, um, it is RNG that is being fueled because of the, the way that's been redistributed into the transportation sector. Uh, in California, it's over 90%. Across the US, it's over 50%. So every day we see a higher volume of RNG going through the pipes into the vehicles. And that's just that trend is just going to continue because it's it is our industry's desire to help with the decarbonization times that we're in right now. Exciting. Can you give me a flavor for price profile for diesel versus RNG versus CNG versus electricity? If you have it, we don't have to go with that. But I think that's an interesting comparison for listeners. And obviously it varies by market and region. So in California, it's going to look different. Maybe outside the rest of the country, what does it look like? Non-California CNG, RNG. One of the things I'm going to say, having worked with this news, it's a steady price, right? If you want to go in and actually understand what your spend is going to be, it's going to be around $2.25, something in that range. And it's been in that range for the last 10 years. And it's very similar for RNG and CNG. You might play a slight delta to get RNG, but again, it just depends on where you're at. But it's going to be a very similar price. And gosh, diesel, I don't know where we are today. Are we at, are we at $4? Are we at $4? Something like that. It's hard. It, it's it's up and down volatility, right? And in the wholesale markets, where we're encroaching on decades high. Yeah, um, and that's I that's mean, it's shortage. It's getting very tight. Yeah, and that is the interesting part too. Uh, when we do talk with fleets, uh, talk with shippers, is you know, there's like Lynn had mentioned, there's a bit of a natural hedge. And granted, some things can uh, move the natural gas price, but talking in percentages is really difficult because you know CNG is fairly steady, fairly certain for a budget and diesel i think we've all experienced even looking at gasoline pumps in the last three years just how <laughs> volatile that price can be good point well, you mentioned that 225 that's on a gallon equivalent yes a gasoline gallon equivalent or, or a diesel gallon equivalent um i should say 
Yeah, so about two twenty-five for a diesel gallon equivalent. We can leave with that, and that'll get some eyebrows raised and probably generate some phone calls, I would hope. Uh, so just to recap where we've been, proven technology, affordability, decarbonization potential, it's checking all the boxes, it's available almost everywhere. I would encourage my listeners, when you're considering decarbonization options, as Lynn said at the top, it's a polyfuel future. You've got to figure out what, what works best and evaluate all options and then go with what your customers are willing to pay for and what your employees want, what you guys can just do something is what I'm encouraging people. But don't forget RNG because with this new 15 liter, I think we're going to see a lot more interest coming, especially in the heavy duty market. And I'm really looking forward to that. So thank you both for the insight. I ask every guest that comes on this show the same question. I'd love it if you would answer, what's your personal motivation for embedding sustainability at the heart of what you do on your day job? Yeah, I'll, I'll start on that. Um, so I've, I've been with U.S. Venture for 10 years. The five years before that, I was actually a high school math teacher. Um, and when I started moving into the business world, working with that first company, uh, trying to figure out what C&G, I could tell that there was that feeling of making a difference. Um, and, you know, that can seem like a really high level ambition, but I think it's the fact that sustainability and our operations can be an ant and really striving towards that. So it's not considering them both separately. That's really where a lot of my passion and drives comes from. Awesome. Thank you. What about you, Lynn? Having worked in this space for 12 years, I've seen the success. I've seen it one truck at a time, one fleet at a time. I've seen us work through this and make progress. And we're really having an incremental impact every day. So it's not zero emissions, but it's it, the impact it's having is significant. And it's I'm very proud to be a part of that. Excellent. Admirable. Thank you both for joining me. I look forward to, to hearing about future successes and growth of this specific piece of the market as we all work towards decarbonization. Have a great afternoon. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, Tyler. Thanks, Bright Waves. There is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions.